everybody. Welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. I've got a news show for you this week. It's been a while. We've had a lot of interviews, a lot of great interviews. Uh, but it's time to catch up on what's been going on out there. There's a couple of key things I want to make sure you are aware of and some interesting stories I'll pass along as well. Uh, so uh, we're going to start off today. We're going to talk about some hackers that have managed to compromise two different online governmental payment systems. Uh, we're going to talk about dozens of iPhone apps that have been caught tracking your location and sending it to China. Uh, also, a very popular iPhone security app, uh, ironically enough, has been caught tattling on your browsing history, among other things. And uh, Google has struck a secret deal with at least one major credit card company to help it track your spending in the real world. And finally, we're going to talk about uh, the law that made credit card freezes free uh, has finally gone into effect. And so uh, that'll end up with our tip of the week. So starting off, uh, I was reading two different articles, and when I originally bookmarked them, I thought they were actually about the same topic. And as I read them, I realized they were different. So there's one article from TechCrunch and another one from ThreatPost talking about two different cases uh, where hackers basically hacked into systems that you would use maybe to pay a fine or uh, buy a permit or some of these uh, governmental kind of fees and transactions. And they managed to hack these two different systems in two different ways. So let's talk about them separately. The first one's called GovPayNow, G-O-V-P-A-Y-N-O-W. And it details, uh, the, the article details about 14 million customers appear to have been exposed over the past six years, basically via shoddy website design practices. Basically, if you had a transaction within this system, it would issue uh, issue you a receipt web link. Uh, so you could view your receipt. Well, that's all fine and dandy. But unfortunately, the link that they used was uh, used a very predictable pattern. It was so predictable, in fact, that bad guys, all they had to do was start guessing numbers, basically, to try to find valid receipt links. You know, so it'd be like, you know, govpaynow.com slash receipt slash and then, you know, some big long number. Well, these big long numbers that were part of the web address were predictable. Uh, so if I just started guessing numbers, I could start finding valid receipts and looking what the inf information was on that receipt. Now, ideally, th those receipts would be protected by a login. So that only I could be able to see that receipt. In other words, if it was my receipt, I would have to log in in order to view it. And if I click that link later or sent that link to somebody else, they would not be able to log in and see that receipt without, uh, <laughs> without logging in. That was not the case. So obviously just shoddy design. So they they needed to make the links less predictable so that you couldn't just guess and find, you know, easily find valid ones. And then when you get to that web page, uh, you should not be able to view it anyway. Uh, so they blew it. Uh, these receipts contained uh, names, addresses, phone numbers, and only the last four digits of the payment card. So while that's technically not enough to make purchases, like, you know, I couldn't use that information to then go out and, you know, put a lot of stuff on your credit card. That information is still, you know, could potentially be used with some social engineering to try to maybe reset your password or to recover the, your account information and otherwise get access to your account. And if they can get access to your, to your account, well, then they could, do, they could get up to all sorts of mischief. So while it wasn't a direct threat, it was still a, a really bad, really bad setup and gave away way too much information, uh, stuff that bad guys clearly uh, would, <laughs> would love to get their hands on. Now, it's not clear how many people are affected, and the, um, the company did say it has fixed the problem. Uh, and since it was a central, uh, a central website with a central service, you know, they only had to fix it one place. Unlike our next one, uh, which is uh, a system called click to gov which you've probably actually never heard of. Cause I think it's kind of behind the scenes. It's probably a payment system, uh, like a, you know, like a shopping cart thing. Like when you go to a place and you put something in a shopping cart there, are, you know, most 
websites, mom and pop websites or small government websites, when they want to implement something like that, they don't write that software themselves. They go buy a package from someone else and say, I want a shopping cart package. So like that, there's this click to gov service that this company sells. Uh, and I think, let's see, I, the, I've got the name in here somewhere. Um, but the company, oh, Superion. Superion was the name of the company. It sells this software called click to gov And so they sell it to all these various local governments who want to be able to collect money for things, you know, fees, bills, permit costs, you know, anything you might go to your local town or city or maybe your, your county government uh, when you need to pay a bill or, or give them money for something. So unfortunately, uh, so the thing to keep in mind with this system is that every one of these different governments have their own system, their own copy of this software. So unlike the previous case, when the bugs in this system were found, uh, they have to go back and work with every single one of their customers to get their software updated. And that was a problem. Their software was not up to date. There was a vulnerability, a known vulnerability uh, in the technology that this company used to write its software, uh, a web server flaw that allowed the bad guys to siphon off full credit card details. Um, so if you were paying through the site and you, if you've used, you know, one of these click to gov sites, and again, it, it may not be well labeled. Like if you go to your county assessor or whatever to pay property taxes or whatever, it may not be obvious that it's that the underlying system is this click-to-gov system. Um, but if if you were one of the unfortunate communities where this the system was in use and the the companies that are or the local government that was doing it was not up to date on their software patches uh, from from Superior and from uh, any of the other uh, web services they offered, your credit card details may have been taken. So if you have um, uh, if you've had a credit card fraud issue lately, uh, you might think back to, as to whether or not that's where it came from. I guess it's moot at that point. According to according to the article that I read on this, uh, this system has been vulnerable for weeks or possibly even months. Uh, and Superion is, uh, does say that they're working with all these local governments to get all these systems patched and up to date. But you know, like I said, because unfortunately, because it's a whole bunch of them, it's not you can't fix it in one place and be done. They've got to work with everybody to get everybody up to date. So, you know, and... You can just bet how much time and technical expertise your local government may have at doing these sorts of things. So if you're going to make a payment through one of those sites, beware. Uh, one of the things I, I will just throw out just off the top of my head that you might want to consider, a lot of credit cards now have, uh, if you go to their online services, they have a way to create virtual credit card numbers or one-time use credit card numbers. Uh, those are great for situations like this where basically, you know, you've got a credit card number that's fixed. It's the one printed on your card. But if you go and log into your account and find the right uh, service, uh, you could get a one-time number that lines up with the same account. And that one-time number could, it will either use one time only or for a certain amount only or for a certain um, uh, company only. They have different restrictions you could put on them. Uh, and that's great for situations like this where you want to manage uh, these things separately so that if that credit card number gets out, it can't be used elsewhere. And you could also cancel that temporary card, uh, card number anytime you want. All right. Now, as as I've said many times in the show, and you should be well aware, you know, I'm a Mac fanboy. I like Apple products. I always have. I've been an Apple customer for a very long time. Nevertheless, they're not perfect. And uh, we've got a couple stories here that will make that uh, unfortunately very clear. So the first story is a research firm called uh, Guardian App has found that dozens of popular iPhone apps are capturing and sending detailed location information um, and sending that information to third-party data aggregators in order to earn money, presumably for targeted advertising. That's what seems to be behind most of these things. Uh, the apps include uh, mostly include things like weather and news and fitness apps, 
which all have legitimate reason to use your location information to perform their primary function. So when they ask you for this permission, say, I need to know where you're going, you know, if you've got a jogging app and it keeps track of where you go and how far you run, then yeah, they need to know your location. Or if it's a weather app, they need to know where you are uh, in order to give you, you know, accurate weather information. Now, if you never travel around, you don't have to set that up. You can just say, I always want to know for this city because that's always where I am. Uh, but the most useful way to use most weather apps is to have it detect your location and tell you what the current weather is uh, for where you are right now. So, you know, you when these apps come up, and they should all be asking for permission for these things uh, to get your location information, for example, it would make sense. There's a lot of apps where it doesn't make sense, but in these cases, you know, it makes sense. So um, let me read a little bit from, uh, from this article from Mac Rumors. Uh, great website. I love Mac Rumors. Uh, and that'll make this kind of clear. According to security researchers, the apps send both precise location and other sensitive customer data to data monetization companies at all times, constantly, sometimes without customers being aware of the location data collection. The information is used for the per- for purposes like creating databases for ad targeting. Researchers use tools to monitor network traffic to discover apps collecting Bluetooth LE data, GPS longitude and latitude, Wi-Fi SSIDs, accelerometer information, battery charge percentage, location, arrival, departure timestamps, and more. Let me just stop for a second there. So uh, the Bluetooth LE data, that's just, uh, Bluetooth is, a, is the, you know, the technology used in your phone to connect to things like speakers usually, um, or other devices uh, nearby in a short for short distances. Um, and so uh, GPS data, that's, that's obvious. The Wi-Fi SSIDs, the SSID is the identifier for the Wi-Fi network you're connected to. So when you go to someone's house, say, hey, I want to connect to your Wi-Fi. Oh, what's your Wi-Fi name? That's your what? That's what they're talking about is the SSID. So by, you know, noting the, the, the Wi-Fi SSIDs, you would think, well, what, that, what information does that give out? There are actually systems out there. They're mapping SSIDs to figure out where they're located. So if you give your home network a really cool, unique name, there are systems out there that are paying attention to the fact that, oh, yeah, if someone's on that Wi-Fi, then they're probably in this house. <laughs> I know you, it's just it's amazing what links these companies are going to to help you find your location. Now, also, this is just a great way to find your location if you if it can't get to cellular data, for example. This is one of the uh, uh, innovations that I think smartphone companies came up with a long time ago. If they're having trouble talking to the cellular network or um, whatever, they could look around and say, okay, what Wi-Fi networks can I currently see? And, and then they could build a, they could basically locate you if they could figure out enough unique names to pinpoint. Oh, well, if you can see this, you know, this ID, this ID, and this ID, then you must be in this, in this location. All right. So let's get back to the article. Quote, while the apps say that personally identifiable information is not included in the data collection, one of the researchers will Strafok, uh, Strafok told TechCrunch that latitude and longitude coordinates can provide information on a person's home or work. Many customers who agree to provide apps with location data may not be aware of the extent of the information being collected and shared. Apps that were found to be collecting location info and sending it to data monetization firms include AskFM, NOAA Weather Radar, Homes.com, Perfect365, C25K 5K Trainer, Classifieds 2.0 Marketplace, Gas Buddy, Photo Bucket, Road Trippers, Tapatalk, and more. The data is being sent to companies that include Reveal, Sense360, Cubic, Timo, Mobiquity, and Physical. These companies denied wrongdoing, suggested customers were able to opt out at any time, and said that developers are required to inform customers about the data collection. All right, so that's, that's the quote from the article. 
So obviously a lot of apps and some of those names I certainly recognize. Um, if you're using those apps or if you're worried about other apps you might be using, uh, you might want to check out the article from TechCrunch. Uh, I will put a note, uh, link to that in the show notes if you want to check out and get the full list. Okay, so what can you do about this? Well, first and foremost, if you don't need an app, delete it. Just, <laughs> I know there's a lot of free apps out there. We've always wanted, we always want to try or some friend said, oh, hey, you should check this out or you'll see this app is free for the day. Try it out. And we download and try all these apps. Then we forget about them. Go out, go actually just go through your phone. Look at all your apps. If you don't use it anymore, delete it. If you don't use it much, think about deleting it because you can always download it again later if you need to, right? Um, so, you know, every app that you leave on your phone is just one more potential tattletale or uh, chink in your armor uh, if bad guys, uh, you know, can find a way into your phone. So first and foremost, just delete any apps you're not using. All right, second, go to your iPhone settings, uh, look under privacy. And if you scroll all the way down, there's a the thing at the bottom says advertising. Click on that. Uh, there's a couple options there you should do. First of all, there's a limit ad tracking. Make sure you turn that on. And second, there's the thing called reset your advertising identifier. Uh, that's a way for uh, Apple to try to anonymize your data. Um, so it just assigns you a number, uh, but it, you know, just, I would periodically just change that number so that over time people aren't able to, you know, if they gather enough information about you using that ID, they might be able to figure out who that ID belongs to. So every so often just go in there and reset your identifier. Honestly, I wish Apple would just do that. It had a setting to do that for you, like every 30 days or something that would be nice. Um, so that's something else you should be doing. Finally, right there in the same privacy area, at the top of that screen, there should be a thing called location services. If you click on that, it will show you every app on your phone uh, for which you have given access to your location. So take the time now to go ahead and review those and make sure that it makes sense for that app to need your location. Uh, just because it asks for it doesn't mean it, <laughs> doesn't mean it really needs it. Um, for instance, news apps. I mean, okay, you might want that if the news app includes something like, you know, I don't know, maybe local weather alerts or something like that, or maybe, uh, I don't know, top news stories or hot news stories in your area. Do you really need that? Because <laughs> if you don't, turn that off. Um, make sure that the apps that have location access to your location data really need it. And Apple has another setting, which is not available on every app, but it's really nice, uh, where you can tell it that it can only access your information while it's in the foreground, while it's the app you're actually using right now. So uh, not because it's sitting in the background somewhere, because, I mean, let's face it, there's uh, a lot of these apps that, that yeah, I, I want them to know where I'm at right now. Let's say it's Yelp or Open Table or something like, find a restaurant near me. Fine, but when, I, when I'm using some other app and that app has gone into the background, there's no reason for it to keep tracking where I'm at. So um, if, you, if you could find that setting, like I said, I don't think it's available for every app. Uh, but if they've implemented that one, then definitely turn that on as a compromise. All right, uh, next story. Um... If you've installed the app called uh, Adware Doctor, it was extremely popular on the Apple Store, um, then you need to listen up closely. Uh, let me just read bits and pieces from this article from Wired Magazine. Security scanning app Adware Doctor currently sits fourth on the Mac App Store's list of top paid apps. But after a researcher who goes by Privacy First released a proof-of-concept video detailing suspicious behavior in the app, Mac security researchers Patrick Wardle of Digita Security and Thomas Reed of Malwarebytes independently investigated as well. By the way, Patrick Wardle was on the show not that long ago. He's a friend of the show. We'll have to get him back. Maybe we can get him to talk about this. All right, back to the article. The researchers found that Adware Doctor collects data about its users 
users, particularly browsing history and a list of other software and processes running on the machine, stores that data in a locked file and periodically sends it out to a server that appears to be located in China. All of these actions seem to violate the App Store's developer guidelines, uh, but while Privacy First notified Apple about the concerns weeks ago, the app remains. Now, they did post an update here, too. Uh, update a few hours after the story was published and several weeks after security researchers first contacted it, Apple removed Adware Doctor from the Mac App Store. Uh, continuing with the article. When a user downloads Adware Doctor, it requests permissions to access the macOS home folder. Because it's at a top app of the Mac App Store, people likely grant that permission, assuming trustworthiness. But Wardle found that once the app has this permission, it quickly starts trying to collect user data in a way that violates both their privacy and Apple's rules. Quote, this app is horrible. It just blatantly violates so many Apple App Store guidelines, Wardle says. And the reviews are just glowing, which usually a sign that they're fake. Apple exudes this hubris that, hey, we have this all figured out and you can trust us. But the reality is there's this really shady, really popular app and they haven't done anything. All right, that's my end of the quote from the article from Wires. Uh, of course, again, in the article, they did say that Apple finally did take this down. So, but I don't know if that has any impact whatsoever on people who have already downloaded and installed it. So if you have already downloaded and installed Adware Doctor on your Mac, uh, that you need to do, uh, remove that app ASAP. Now, let me just say again that, you know, yeah, I always like Apple and I think that, but nobody's perfect. The security is hard. Privacy is even harder. Um, you know, cause most people can agree that we need security. So we you know, everyone, the companies and everybody usually works together in that privacy. However, it's a whole different ball game and people are doing all sorts of dark pattern kind of things, tricky ways of getting you to cough up information, uh, you know, tricking you into opting in by default, you know, giving these really dire warnings when you try to opt out, giving some very ambiguous and benign sounding language about why you should be enabling this tracking, all these sorts of things. So privacy is a lot harder. I will, however, say again, though, that if I had to, there's just no comparison between iPhone and Android. If you're, if you're in a position to choose between the two, uh, and it comes down to security and privacy, uh, Apple is still the clear choice in both computers and in uh, smartphones. But again, this, these, these articles go to show that they are not perfect and it's, it's hard. You still have to be careful. All right, one last story here and then we'll get into our tip of the week. Uh, it was just revealed, uh, Bloomberg broke this story a few weeks ago and I've been dying to tell you about it ever since. Uh, we just had all these interview shows and I haven't had time to do the news, but uh, basically... Google created a secret deal with MasterCard to share credit card sales information. So the idea is for Google to be able to link its online web ads, because remember, Google's an ad company. 90-some percent of their revenue comes from advertising. They are an ad company. Uh, their job is to learn as much about you as possible and make more money off of their ads. So the idea here is 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 that Google, with MasterCard getting access to this MasterCard information, wants to be able to track what you buy in the real world after looking at an online ad. According to the article, which uh, quoted Google, uh, there's no direct knowledge of what specifically you purchased with your credit card. Uh, so apparently, all they can really figure out is that shortly after you saw an ad, you know, maybe within a few days, I think actually they said the window was like 30 days, you went and spent money at a store that likely carried that product. Now, if the ad was for like an expensive product, like a large screen TV or an appliance or a car or something like that, uh, then you could probably infer from the purchase based on the sales price, you know, that those things were, were bought. Um, or if the ad was just for a particular store, you know, if, if the ad was from Target or Kohl's or something like that, then just going to the store and spending money there, then 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 they could infer from that that if you saw the ad, then you went and spent then you, then you went and spent money at that store shortly thereafter. 
So the article was long and had a lot more info. Uh, so if you're interested, I have a link in the show notes. So you can read the whole thing. Um, but here's a few more interesting tidbits from that article. First of all, Google claims to be able to track 70% of U.S. credit card sales. Uh, but MasterCard only accounts for about 25% of those credit card sales. So uh, while Visa and America Express declined to comment, um, if that Google figure is correct, then I think we have to assume that those guys are probably somehow giving up their information as well. Or maybe that 70% figure means something else, but uh, it's probably not just MasterCard that was involved in this. All right, second, uh, supposedly you can opt out of all this stuff with Google's privacy settings. Uh, so what they say is this is set by Google Activity Controls. So you, if you search on Google Activity Controls, you'll find this. Make sure you're logged into your Google account uh, and you can uh, go to the activity things and basically just turn everything off. Uh, I'm sure they are on by default. Uh, and while you're in there, you may as well look at your other Google privacy settings as well, just to make sure that they're all turned way, way down and just, just turn it all off. Now, finally, Google claims to be using something they call double blind encryption to keep their information private, uh, supposedly to protect your anonymity. I have no idea what the heck double blind encryption is. <laughs> um, and I don't know how much detail Google's ever got into about what that is. It's probably something proprietary and some fancy term that some marketing guy made up to make it sound really cool. Uh, the fact of the matter is that Google wants to know all this stuff about you and they need to be able to match it to you. Uh, now, they may be trying to keep that information private from people they sell that information to, but Google still knows. Um, anyway, Google and Facebook and other advertising and marketing companies are going just to astounding lengths to track you. Where you go, what you do, who you hang out with, and particularly how, when, and where you spend your money. Um, Facebook actually is already uh, also rumored to be in talks with credit card companies to share that data as well. So I quit, I quit Facebook a while back, which I made very public on this, on this thing. And I, as we talked about last week, I'm bound to determine to extract myself from this massive Google ecosystem. And I, I dove in wholeheartedly. They've got some, honestly, some great free products, but they're not really free. Uh, I'm paying for it with my privacy, and I've decided no, no longer to do that. I would rather pay actual money to other companies who are going to protect my privacy. Uh, and so I am, I am on a mission to slowly extract myself from as much of that stuff as I possibly can. All right, and that brings us to our tip of the week. So uh, we've talked about this multiple times on the show and uh, about credit freezes. Uh, the law, actually a pretty bad financial law just, just went into effect, but one silver lining to that law uh, was that credit freezes are now free everywhere. And not just the freezes, but the unfreezes and the thaws and all everything around your credit report uh, is now free, which is frankly the way it should be. Uh, Brian Krebs uh, has done a lot of great reporting on this, and I've included a uh, link to the article in the show notes, which, uh, like all show notes, you could find on the America Out Loud website uh, for this particular show. And uh, I encourage you to read the article, the full article, but I'm going to read you a little bit of it here and then go over the high points um, of what this is about and why you should do it. So from the article, it's now free in every U.S. state to freeze and unfreeze your credit file and that of your dependents, a process that blocks identity thieves and others from looking at private details in your consumer credit history. If you've been holding out because you're not particularly worried about ID theft, then here's another reason to reconsider. The credit bureau profits from selling your copies of your file to others. So freezing your file allows you to deny these dinosaurs a valuable revenue stream. And the article goes on, but here's some here's some of the key points. Uh, you can you can request freezes for your spouse over the phone as well, as long as you can kind of prove that you're the spouse. Uh, so you could you know you can at least do that for each other if one of you wants to make those calls. Because uh, you'll have to call uh, the three big bureaus at, at a minimum: Equifax, Experian, and uh, TransUnion. 
Uh, all that information is in the article. Uh, the phone numbers and the, the email address, or sorry, the phone numbers and the snail mail addresses are all in the article. So the information is there. Now, this new law also allows you to place freezes on your children's credit if they're under age 16. Uh, but you'll have to do that in writing because I guess they need more proof that you're the parent, like birth certificates and stuff like that. So you could do it for your kids as well. Um, that That's something you might want to consider. Um, the other thing this law does is it extends the length of a fraud alert uh, from 90 days to one year. And if uh, the way a fraud alert works is it's supposed to, it doesn't freeze your credit, doesn't allow you to not get credit, but it makes it supposedly one step harder to get it. So if you were to apply for a credit card, uh, when you when you set up the fraud alert, you set up a contact, uh, a preferred contact, and that's probably either email or a phone number. So that if anybody tries to get credit in your name, including yourself, uh, they will have to, well, have to is a strong word. I'm not sure if they're, if they're required, uh, but they're supposed to call that contact number first to make sure that that's really you uh, before extending uh, a new credit. So that's what a fraud alert does. And that's, that is really better than nothing. Nothing. If you're the kind of person that is constantly getting new credit cards or, you know, applying for loans or flipping houses and getting a lot of mortgages, um, that sort of thing, uh, then the freeze might be way too painful for you. And you might want to consider the fraud alert. Uh, and this law, while, while this was always free, uh, until the law went into effect, it was only for 90 days and you had to renew it every 90 days. Now it's, it lasts for up to a year and you still have to renew it, but it's, it's still free. And so you at least only have to do it uh, once a year now. Um, make sure you note that the freezes and fraud alerts don't have anything to do with any existing lines of credit. So it doesn't, it doesn't help you on any loans or credit cards, bank accounts. Those things are, once you've established credit with somebody, the, the freezes and the, the, the fraud alerts don't apply. So, you know, the, those accounts could be abused by anybody who managed to get your account information or steals your identity. Uh, they will still be able to access those accounts or may be able to access those accounts. Also, when you place a freeze, you're going to get a PIN number uh, and they'll probably, uh, they could give it to you over the phone or they may send it to you by mail. Obviously, make sure to keep that somewhere very safe because you will need that pin if you ever want to unfreeze or even temporarily thaw your account uh, to get a new credit card or apply for a mortgage or something like that. And finally, if you do uh, have a credit freeze on all, on all the major bureaus and you need to get new credit, uh, let, let's say you want to apply for a store card or something like that, uh, the best thing to do is to talk to the store uh, or whoever you're trying to open credit with and find out which of the three uh, credit unions they use, uh, the credit bureaus that they use. Uh, and then you can just thaw, unthaw that one. Uh, I was at actually one place that actually used two, depending. <laughs> so they couldn't tell me for sure which one they were going to use. I had actually unthought in two different places. So make sure you give yourself time for that too. While there's, these thaws are supposed to be able to go through and within 24 hours, you know, you never know. Things can take a little bit longer. So make sure you give yourself plenty of time to do that before you, to thaw it before you then try to go and apply for the new credit. All right. Good to have a new show again. Good to catch you guys up on all the stuff going on out there. I want to reiterate that the uh, third edition for Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons is now available everywhere. And I do mean everywhere. Now that I've got a real publisher, they're showing up uh, in all the bookstores. So uh, if, you go, if you go into your brick and mortar store and they don't have it, request it and tell them to get it on the shelves. Uh, maybe even go to your library and see if they can get a copy of that book. It's got over 400 pages or 400 pages now, and it's uh, over 150 tips. It's gotten so much bigger and it's so much more comprehensive. I'd keep adding to it every time. And uh, it's just, it, 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 I'm really proud of it. It's a great resource. So if not even for yourself, maybe consider giving it as a gift to other people as well. All right. Uh, that is it for the week. And as always, everybody, stay safe and don't get caught in the drop reach down. <laughs>